0: You know, I always find it funny. I always find it funny when there's an episode which has, like, very little behind the scenes information. Even the actual creators of the show have almost nothing to say about it, even though this is actually a landmark moment in Star Trek history, and I mean that with total sincerity. This is the first episode Joe Minoski wrote. Now, Joe Minoski has a bit of a complicated reaction amongst fans, I've noticed. Some people are very fond of him, some people very much hate him, and there's usually not a whole lot in between of those two things. But I'm kind of in the middle. (laughs) No, seriously, though, because Joe Minoski is absolutely the kind of person I would want in my writer's room. Absolutely. But some of his attitude and approach to things like setting continuity and coherence and adherence to things like technical reality and believability leave a lot to be desired. I've actually ranted about this over on Voyager, and yet a lot of my favorite episodes tend to be written by this man because he's really big on ideas and pushing the envelope. Case in point, what's the very first Star Trek episode he ever writes? You know, there was that planet of gangs and and horrible violence and death. I'm going to do a story set in TNG, in an era when Rodberry's still presiding, I feel like pointing out, Set your on that planet. Let's do that. I mean, that's the kind of thing that, at least at this point in era, Joe Minoski is one of the only people, if not the only person, who would actually want to do that. And that's good. We should have people who push us as writers and as creators. I, I do like his contributions. And Minoski is really, really good at character. I would argue he's actually probably one of the best character authors I've seen in Star Trek. He, he knows his stuff, and he knows how to write it out very well and very precisely. Also, a funny story, I've had some people ask me, why is this episode named Legacy? I mean, is Shara being the legacy of Tasha? That doesn't really seem that cohesive. Turns out this episode named, is named Legacy because, as of this episode, TNG has now surpassed TOS in terms of the number of episodes they produced. That probably doesn't seem like a big thing, since we had seven seasons of TNG, seven seasons of Deep Space Nine, seven seasons of Voyager, four seasons of Enterprise, working on season two of Discovery, you know. It doesn't seem as big of a deal. But at the time, remember that TNG had only recently be- gotten to the point of the same relative level of success that TOS had. Thanks to, in part, to Star Trek IV, but also to Best of Both Worlds, as I've already discussed. So the idea that TNG had truly surpassed TOS in any way was something that was still considered a new and amazing thing. The people are still like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this actually happened. It had also got to the point where certain age groups of people had actually, you know, been growing up watching TNG, and enough years had passed that that was significant now. You could probably lump me into that category, actually, since, as I've mentioned, I've been watching this show since it came out. Anyways, <clears throat> so that's actually all I have about the behind-the-scenes stuff. There's really not much to add to that. So I like the idea that data is getting harder to bluff at the poker table. Mostly because, to me, it feels like a natural, I guess the word I want to use is mutation, to be slightly more accurate, of Data as a character. The fact that he is getting more accustomed to social interactions. There's even a tiny tidbit towards the end where he is asked to sit and he says, thank you. And then he sits in a typical Android format. But I just had the flitting thought at the back of my mind that Data has gotten so used to human behavior and activity that even though he doesn't fully understand all of it, he can appreciate and comprehend some of it that he understands how he should act or does act. Basically, to put it simply, that droid effect is taking place, even though I know Data's already sentient and sapient. But more complexity is being added to his neural net, allowing him to have a more nuanced perspective and portrayal in his interactions with other, you know, emotion-having species. That's all I wanted to say about that. So then we have Turkana Four. They actually say in this episode that they haven't uh the last time they really had contact was 6 years ago when a ship showed up and they lost formal contact 15 years ago. How did Tasha get off this planet? They never discuss this. It's never really addressed in any significant fashion. They just kind of vaguely say that she found a way out. And yet apparently that way out wasn't available for everyone else. I suppose you could argue the violence is part of that. But to be completely blunt, unlike a previous episode, the terrorist episode, um, The High Ground, the people on this planet have posed no threat to orbiting starships, like zero threat. In fact, the only reason this planet even came up was because a ship happened to be injured and happened to go to the planet and happened... That's another thing. It's a very Joe thing. Okay, I need these people to be here. Never mind how immensely unlikely it is that a ship would be damaged in range of a planet because space is gargantuan, and there's no real reason for the ship to even be in this region to begin with, but no, no, it's happening. Very Joe Manoski thing. Kind of like the fact that uh, the down on the planet, the guy says, I want to know everything about the, the ship Enterprise, and somehow comes up with the fact that Tasha was on the ship, even though they've had no contact with the ship for six years. And by the ship, I mean at all. The last contact at all with this colony was six years ago, like I just addressed which might have been when Tasha was still on the Enterprise, possibly, but he acts like he just goes to the Internet and says, all right, let's see, let's go to Memory Alpha here, Tasha Yar. there we go, Enterprise D. I mean, right? <laughs> the, the number of coincidences that need to fall into place for this make it clear that, per Minoski Usual, he didn't think out the specifics. Why bother? He just wanted to get to the meat of it. That is very much his approach. That's why I say I'm both for and against him, by the way. Because the meat's good stuff. Um, I also want to note, just as a quick aside, why is Troy so useless in this episode? Like, Troy knows how to detect betrayal or deception. It's something she's good at, it's something she's been used for many times. <sighs> Anyways, I do kind of want to talk about Trirkana 4 a little bit, because I have to admit, as a writer, I find the idea fascinating in its own right. Probably, I would probably tone it down a little bit from what it is, you know, the very idea of things I'm not going to say out loud, the gangs thing, is something that's just, wow, I can't even believe that that's in Star Trek, but I also have to admit the idea of a colony that failed is fascinating to me, because that is what this is an old Earth colony set up to this planet, and completely failed. Did not properly join the Federation or cut ties with the Federation, depending on how you want to think of that, and completely self-destructed into violence and internecine conflict to the point where it would reach the point where people were actually born and raised in conflict and violence, where the street gangs ruled the cities, right? In other words, it would reach the point of self-perpetuation. And because of the isolationist nature of the place, it's not like people who don't want to be a part of that really have a functional choice of not being a part of that. Which, once again, raises the question of how the hell Tasha got off here. But I'm just going to assume she was lucky and move on from that. I also have to admit, it's fascinating because how do you deal with this as a as a galactic power? Let me put it to you this way. I know I've talked about this before, so please forgive me. If the Federation approached Earth right now, Who do they talk to? There is no Earth government. There's no... Like, this is not one governmental power on this planet. We have, quite literally, thousands of governmental powers on this planet. You could say the UN, but that actually doesn't speak for everyone either, and that has its own contentious problems. Now, you get the point I'm going to, regardless. This is a non-unified planet. Now, that's actually come up before, and will come up again in Star Trek history. But what we see is... A situation where the Federation might want to reach out to these people and help them, but who do you reach out to, exactly? Do you just provide aid universally? I've heard one person say, well, why don't they just do regular medical supply drops? Two problems with that. First of all, that creates a, pr- a powerful resource that then becomes another source of conflict. Even if these uh, medical drops are done equally, I guarantee you that factionalized conflict would happen as a result of trying to control more of the medical drops. It would allow more literal as well as political power to the people who have access to them. Second problem, plenty of medical supplies can be used for non-medical means. Medical supplies is a nice cover-all phrase, but if you actually think about what that means for a moment, especially for a society as advanced as the federation, there are a lot of ways that those kind of things can be used for horrible purposes right? <laughs> I mean, I don't even have to, to, to make this point. Really, there's so many real-life drugs that are actual, you know, helpful medical things. Like, even acetaminophen, which is a, a near constant prevailing e- essence when it comes to pain medication, is something that is actually extremely damaging to the body and could be easily used as a method of poison, torture, or killing. I shouldn't say easily. It would take some overdosing, but it, it would cause some issues is what I'm trying to say. And that's at our level of tech. And our level of tech is nothing compared to theirs, especially medically. I mean, a tricorder could be invaluable to these people. Even a medical tricorder. You kind of get my point. So, what do you do as the Federation with a colony like this? Now, we know what they did do. Hands off. Alright. Probably some prime directive involved here, but hands off. You're, you're going to tear yourself to, to pieces. Fine. And that, in my opinion, is why the Federation kind of sucks. Hear me out. I'm not saying that it's the Federation's purview to intervene. I'm saying that the Federation has access to the resources, technology, and, frankly, drive, necessary in order to help the people on this planet as needed. I'm saying the Federation has the ability to scan, infiltrate, and interact with the people on this planet to try and find the people who really do want out. And they have the power to give them that option. To really say, do you want to leave this godforsaken rock? And there will be people who say no. Just like Ashara said no. And there will be people who say yes. Like Tasha said yes. Right? That would be a more complicated thing to do. It would take more time, more effort. It would involve more resources. But I think, personally, it's the kind of thing that really the Federation should be doing. Now... The funny part is I think that that should have been a policy for hmm, the past 15 years or so. And I think that, let's say they had a ship assigned here, maybe a rotating ship. Every now and they just sounded another ship. They don't need a big ship. Remember, this this is not a military situation, so they don't need a battleship in orbit, so they can just send an Oberth or whatever to deal with this kind of situation, right? What if, and I, I, I hate to pull a continuity into this again, but what if the ship that had been here was pulled away to Wolf 359. Remember, we're not actually that far from Earth at this point in in the thing. As I mentioned, you can kind of track the rough region the Enterprise goes throughout the seasons, and right now we are a lot closer to Sector 001 as a consequence of the events of, uh, of, of Best of Both Worlds. It'll be kind of drifting southeast-ish towards the Klingon territories throughout the course of this entire season. But we're still close to home which is kind of questionable in its own right, but it it gets across the point that this ship could have been in range and pulled over to that fleet, and, well, it's freaking dead now, isn't it? That then leads to the current situation where it's like, okay, well, now not only is this a a problem because we don't have the kind of in-orbit support we were supposed to have, but it also means that the situation on the planet has deteriorated or gotten worse, or maybe it's just a situation where we don't know, like we have lost intel because all the records were on that ship and it's off and freaking dead makes sense this would also help to explain a little bit more of the possibility of how they might have known about tasha in particular the possibility of someone's leaking something or maybe sharing information with some of the leaders down below in exchange for information or currency or and by currency i mean like supplies you know that kind of a thing there's some stuff you could have done with that but i digress moving on so worf Worf has this wonderful bit where he basically says, no, you're not coming down, Crusher. And she says, yes, I am, they might need medical help. I actually like this because it's another one of those they're both right situations. He is right. Anything goes bad on there, and she is a she. I'm sorry, I hate to say that, but considering that is a legitimate concern on this planet, she is the kind of person who needs to be protected from that, just like everyone needs to be protected from that. Again, I don't feel like I need to explain why. So his concern is valid. Her concern is also valid. These people do need medical aid. And it's the kind of thing where they want a medical professional on spot immediately. So then they send the chief medical officer, the first officer, the only android, and Worf down there on this mission. That they have these serious concerns on. Yeah. (laughs) I think I've made my point. (laughs) Anywho. So then the coalition's like, hey, yeah, you know, you give us some supplies, we'll help you out, it'll be cool, everything will be fine. And then there's this actually interesting bit where he says, the alliance will try to pull supplies from you in exchange for them, which will put me in a worse position. I don't want that, so I'll help you. Now what I like most about that is that it is a completely truthful lie. It is a very logical, very accurate statement that is being done with the purpose of deceiving. It is, in short, the exact thing that Riker was doing at the beginning of the episode. I find this funny because of all the people I've seen talk about this episode, I've never seen anyone acknowledge this parallel. Right at the beginning of the episode, Riker tries to pull one on Data. Now, he technically succeeds, but Data notices how he does it, and therefore catches him in it. Riker's truthful interactions, for the purposes of deception is something data sniffs out then in the rest of the episode no one sniffs out the truthful interactions to lead to deception that ashara does and that ends up pulling you know, pulling the trick on them and data himself worries about this of course the episode just kind of glosses over the fact that everyone just kind of went with it and the general explanation is well we really liked tasha so we just sort of assumed ashara would be good and that's just human enough that i could accept that except in the case of people like worf troy And uh, Data. But, again, (laughs) Manoski. It's worth noting that as much as I've been complaining about this episode, every scene between Ashara and Data is pure gold. No pun intended. It really is. There's some really good moments there. Which brings me to my first of two questions. How sincere do you think Ashara's questions about Tasha were? She asks several questions about her sister, her life, her death, all that kind of stuff. Do you think she really cared, or this is just part of her act, ingratiating herself? We learn that Tasha had a meaningless death. I actually kind of quietly wondered in the back of my mind if Ishara ever learned about Sila. I doubt it, since, you know, lack of contact. And that Oberth is off at Wolf Leithweb 9 in pieces, so, you know. But then, well, then we start having some action sequences. And I get the feeling those were almost just thrown in there. But it's weird. Now, this is an episode directed by Schreerer. Shearer, God, I can never pronounce his name right. Please forgive me. He's a good director. I actually like him quite a bit. And he does a really good job of, as usual, camera angles, but presenting the tight corridors in a way that's still visually interesting. I know that sounds like a strange statement, but believe it or not, presenting a corridor as visually interesting is a lot harder to do than it sounds. Trust me. <laughs> This is actually something that has bothered video game designers for many years, and I myself have run into as well in several other projects in my life. It's not that easy, so he does a good job of it. And we also see some general competency from the Starfleet ground teams, which is nice to see, given that this is Starfleet and they're usually incompetent. It's so weird whenever I have to comment on competency with Starfleet, but moving on. So then we have a scene where Picard talks about when he first met Tasha. This is a good scene and he admits that Tasha was piloting a ship through a minefield to help rescue some people that he himself, his ship, has also detected. It's kind of implied that this was actually the, uh, the Stargazer, not the Enterprise. We're not 100% sure, but it is implied, although un- unstated, that Tasha could have actually joined him on the Stargazer. Again, not 100% sure. But I bring that up because he basically then pulled in a favor to get Tasha transferred to his ship, which I like for two reasons. Three, actually. First, I like the idea that that kind of, for lack of a better way to put it, politics is still an aspect of Starfleet. That he could pull that kind of a thing. You owe me. I'm calling in a solid. You know, that kind of a thing. That just sort of appeals to me. And I imagine that a lot of the captains have their own little coordinations and interactions. And over time build up debts or networks of trust and information and communication amongst each other. Completely outside of the typical military network of Starfleet. It makes sense. And again, it appeals to me, I admit. We actually saw a little bit of that back in um Conspiracy, all the way back in season one as well. The second reason I like it is it's a nice way of showcasing the kind of person Tashiar really was. The kind of person that, let's be frank, she wasn't allowed to be all that often. I actually found myself surprised for these ruminations when I went back through season one, because there was actually a decent amount of good Tasha material scattered here and there amongst her just standing there doing nothing. It really, as I said many times, it made me lament the whole situation because they could have made her a very interesting character, and they didn't. (laughs) She actually became more interesting after she died, which is just sort of sad. Although, ultimately not really an intentional choice, more a matter of the show having changed hands three or four times since then in order to get to this point, but... The third thing I like about that is it kind of shows a lot of the value that Picard had in Tasha, personally. That I like to think that Picard, when he did get the Enterprise, pretty much went to her in person and said, I want the best to be my chief of security on the Enterprise. I, I can just picture that meeting between the two of them and the mutual respect there. I think that would have been an awesome thing to show someday. Anyways. So then um, we see another excellent scene between Ishara and Data, where Data talks about the concept of friendship. This is Joe Minoski at his Joe Minoskiist right here. He manages to accurately and well-done portrayalness. My My grammar's all over the place. He does a well-done, accurate portrayal of how an android with no emotion can still have a concept such as friendship, divorcing friendship from the emotional factor while retaining its core elements. And the way he explains it is just poetry. He He talks about patterns and assumed patterns and like patterns and how these patterns become things that are then considered positives. As I myself have spoken of before, just because Data doesn't feel does not mean he does not understand the concept of good or positive or satisfactory or... A job well done. These are things I've talked about many times before. And so you could tell that things to him that are of like pattern are satisfactory. And he himself says, I have gotten used to them as a as a means of friendship. This also then ties in later when he speaks of Ashar and says, I have become used to her. It's a very nice touch, a very alien android way of explaining what we would usually see as an emotional connection. Brilliantly written and brilliantly presented. So then Ashara talks about the plan to get down there. This was the official moment when I was watching this for the first time. That I was like, oh, okay, she's playing them. She's playing them," <laughs> Because she mentions her proximity sensor. Now, first of all, the proximity sensor is another fascinating idea. Like, a, a, a truly fantastic concept. In fact, I like it so much that I'm willing to accept the fact that it doesn't actually make sense when you sit back and think about it for a moment. I'm not going to dissect it. Joe Minowski. I'm not going to dissect it, but it's a fantastic idea that I would love to use something like this in the future. But more to the point, she mentions the idea of getting rid of it. The automatic value in that to the coalition is worth virtually anything else. Obviously, this whole mission was to try and set off their defenses so they could do a proper invasion. And yet, even ignoring that, even though the mission fails, they now have an agent who has no proximity sensor. You noticed that, right? They send back Ashara with no sensor which means they now have the perfect infiltrator. (laughs) So again, the value of this to the coalition is basically invaluable. This is the kind of thing that can completely turn the tide in their favor, and nearly does, and arguably will in the future. So, of course, they're like, yeah, you know, we're totally cool with this. You know, this is, should be your decision. Nobody questions this. Nobody tracks this woman. She even sends a communication down to the planet. Everything's going as planned. Is nobody monitoring this? I get that the point is, oh, it's Tasha too. But I have to admit, I'm a little discouraged and disappointed that nobody considers using basic security precautions with this woman. Uh So, next question. How sincere is she, do you think, when she talks to data about getting out? honest question she talks about you know she talks to data in Ten forward about the idea of having a life other than for killing and people helping each other just be can and actual trust between people and on the bridge, she talks about the possibility of joining Starfleet and escaping the planet permanently and all this stuff. How much truth do you think was in all that? now, I think it was a lot of tr- sincere truth, I really do. I think that her sense of duty and responsibility kept her from actually doing it, but if that were not there, I think she would have gone through with it. I really do. Not just because I like to think of the best of people, which I do, but more to the point because that's the point of the con. Remember, cutting back to the poker thing, the whole point of the con is to present what is perceived as open truth in an attempt to deceive However, as ever, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts and perspectives on Ashara and what you think she was doing and more to the point, why. So she goes down, they rescue them, alert, alert goes off. A lot of good directing happens. I'm just kind of fast-forwarding through that. And then it gets to this scene, and this is this scene's actually a pretty good scene, where she's standing in front of the the power thing that she set off, and she's willing to die standing here next to it. And what I find funniest about this and she's like you need to you need to go data data you need to go god there's no need for you to die just leave data please and if absolutely nothing else i think that ashara valued data she might not have met the starfleet stuff she might not have cared about you know the rest of the crew or had had the enjoyment of cooperation or any of the other stuff she said but i do think she valued data's life because it's very clear in that moment that she is almost panicking and trying to get Data to get the hell out, so his life is not wasted in this attack that she has to go through with. Then, you know, Riker shows up, Data disables her, shuts down the thing. They go up to the bridge, Jackass yambers at them for a bit, and then he escorts her down to the transporter, and she says, you haven't said a word to me, and he says, what would you like to talk about? And he says it so normally. I love Spiner sometimes. He's... He can be kind of an ass every now and again, but my God, the man knew how to act as Data. Because he just says it so normally. What would you like to talk about? And then she says it wasn't all a lie on the transporter pad. And all he says in reaction is energize. That's a powerful scene. You can just kind of tell that this has had an impact on Data. It really has. Uh, ignoring the coda which the the game, the episode flat out says this has had an impact on Data, you can tell that this is the sort of thing that really bothers him and has really affected him. He doesn't have feelings to hurt, but you don't need feelings to be hurt. And so instead, all he says is, energize, refusing to acknowledge any other possible outcome of this situation, just wanting it removed and equation terminated. And yet he still can't stop thinking about her, which leads, of course, to the situation where he talks to Riker about it. It's some good stuff. An excellent intro outing. Excuse me. An excellent intro outing for Joe Manoski. I look forward to seeing more of his TNG stuff in the future. I hope you guys have enjoyed. I'll see you next time.